0: Well, hello and good morning. My name's Justin. I am one of the pastors here at Riv, also the Rio Town venue director. So uh, great to have you on this this Father's Day weekend. So tip of the hat to all the padres in the house. Uh, I hope you feel special. Uh, I certainly felt special. I woke up this morning. I stepped outside of my room, and my dog had left me a present right on the floor. Um, And my wife, God bless her, she cleaned it up. So that is true love, so shout out to to her. Um, Hey, and happy Juneteenth uh, to boot. Uh, It is good to celebrate emancipation. To look back at 1865 when the godlessness of the Confederacy was being dismantled, And freedom was proclaimed to enslaved image bearers of God. So uh, when I say good morning, I hope this is a a happy day for you. I mean that in a very robust way. Um, As we get going, though, I do have one RIV specific current event uh, to announce regarding the future of our MSU venue. And the headline is, uh, come this fall, we're going to have a significant change in our approach to how we're reaching college students. Functionally, this means uh, closing down that venue as we know it and the weekend services that go with it. After prayer and deliberation, our team huddled, we talked, we looked at our um, core commitments, and we realized that the, the MSU venue in some ways was kind of siloed off. Right? They were kind of there on campus, and then there was the rest of us at the other three venues. And so what we want to do is actually bake in and incorporate the college students that we have, not just from MSU, Davenport, Great Lakes, there's a lot of other places around LCC, have them baked into what we're already doing here and so, uh, as, as uh, accordingly, uh, Pastor Young's going to shift his role a bit to continue to lead campus ministries plural, and then yet have more capacity to lead with young adults as we intersperse uh, the rest of the flock with college students. Hopefully, uh, college students will then influence a little bit more, be influenced, rub shoulders, set up natural opportunities for discipleship, not just doing a huddle with peers on campus. Um, and so while this technically means that um, it, the venue is closing, this opens up opportunities for LCC, uh, Great Lakes, Davenport, etc. And as it might be sad to see one chapter end, uh, it doesn't really evaporate the, the, the things that have been going on here as a church. So I'm excited to see the next unfold. So if you have any further questions, you can holler, you can come my way, or even reach out to Pastor Young directly, and he'd be happy uh, to respond uh, accordingly, I'm going to go ahead and pray uh, both for the MSU venue, MSU venue, and for us, and then we'll get after the sermon. Uh, Father, we thank you as we think about faithfulness; uh, that you are always faithful. Uh, times might change, but you don't, uh, opportunities might change, but your purposes remain. So I pray that you be with, uh, particularly our, our college crowd and doing ministry to young people. Uh, I pray that we would have fruitful ministry going forward. I pray that as the text though, today is open to us, we would be open to it In your name. Amen. So I am delighted uh, to put in the next installment of our Of the Spirit series, our Fruit of the Spirit series, where we're drawing from the book of Galatians, New Testament letter written by St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, to Christians living in what is now present-day Turkey. And as a refresher, when you hear fruit, think of one thing, one product that is produced by the Holy Spirit— the, the, the figurative virtues or character qualities brought on by the indwelling spirit of God as he resides in the people of God, Paul rattles off nine specific items that we would expect to see in a follower of Jesus. This list is probably not exhaustive, but it's definite. The things that we would hope would mark the lifestyle of people following Jesus Getting the spirit of Jesus, we should be like Jesus That's pretty simple math in my book The larger context, though, in Galatians 5 Finds Paul talking about what it means to be sanctified So a couple important S words in Christianity There's salvation that's the event. It happens one time you get saved, right? Once for all time you're saved. Then you have sanctification. That's the process. The often messy process that happens after salvation where we want to become more and more like Jesus. That's sanctification. Okay, we need to walk with the spirit of Jesus to be more like Jesus, so says Paul. And this is important, especially if you find yourself in the middle of Galatians 5. Paul talks about how we have warring desires inside of us, how we're very divided, that there's this ever-present dogfight. In in, in me and in you, we have the old nature, we have the sin nature, that's the flesh, and we have the new nature, the Holy Spirit, the new man, as he says this is a tug-of-war going on, and Paul wants Team Jesus to win out. So I have a fancy illustration, a guide for us today, um, to, to, just to show you what we're all like. And it's, it's, it's this. We're like, a, we're like a cup. Okay, I spared no expense. This is one of my favorite cups. This is my coffee mug with great mustaches of history. you got, like, Mark Twain, Salvador Dali. What I have going on really didn't make—mine's kind of like Joe Dirt, which is— not a great mustache in his anyways but we are like containers okay go with me on this a container is called a container because it contains stuff okay so if i put water in here i could spore i could pour water out and if i put coffee in here what would come out (sighs) you guys are sharp okay yes what i'm getting at is if we think about ourselves as containers And vessels, and there's biblical precedent for this Paul himself talks about being poured out uh, To Timothy He's like in God's house, the church It's kind of like this, this great house with many vessels Utensils, those kinds of things We would expect the graces Of God To be in the people of God right? we're, we're told to be filled With the spirit And you think about it, we already talk like that You've probably heard, heard someone say, oh that guy Oh he's full of it What do they mean? Deep down in his heart, there's a lack of integrity, so you can't trust him, right? That's what's in the heart. What you have inside, what you are filled with, has a way of spilling over. That's where we're going today. And uh, I want us to look at one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is faithfulness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness. Devotion, loyalty, reliability, being committed. The people of God are called to be faithful over and against the possibilities that could divide us. To be faithful to God, to be faithful to others, to be full of faith. Now, as we dive into the biblical language, what's going on here with faithfulness, it, it pops as the kids say. It comes in a 3D. I'm going to read some of the Greek and the Hebrew as it kind of gets unpacked and see if this defines you. So the Greek word that's used most often is pisteis, uh, which means genuine, real, something that's bona fide, speaks to this notion of allegiance. When there's faithfulness, someone has a good, strong allegiance. Someone is dutiful, conscientious, trustworthy, Reliable. That's pistis, which is used in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the word is emunah, which means steadfastness, being firm, being resolved. It speaks to the state of truth-telling or the the condition of living according to a high moral standard. When, When emunah speaks of God, it speaks to permanent integrity, integrity that won't wear out. That's biblical faithfulness. So today, I'm, I'm operating from a two-part premise. One's negative, the other one's positive. Negatively, by default, we human beings are, are woefully unfaithful. We're not, we're not full of faithfulness. We're empty. And not only are we empty, we're, we're, we're dirty. Actually, I left this cup up here a while ago, and I was going to drink out of it today, but I didn't know what had happened because it's just been sitting around. Um, that, that's us. There's my, my, I have like a film on my finger now from touching that on the inside. Anyways, that's us. And you think about it, our experiences testify that unfaithfulness is one of the most grievous and destructive things that we Face You you don't have to be a Christian to pick up what I'm putting down. I mean, uh, you think about if if a father walks out on a family, those children will walk with a limp the rest of their lives. When a politician makes promises they don't keep, false claims about reality... Citizens lose faith in their representative democracy. Our weariness, the angst that we feel testify that unfaithfulness is an enduring human problem. So that's the bad news. But the good news is God is faithful. He is so faithful that he is an eternal spring of faithfulness and that his faithfulness can come in and it can wash out our filth. And it can fill up, it can displace our unfaithfulness, making us faithful people that can spore, spore, spill. I was going to say pour and spill, but I've said spore twice. Spill over into all that we do. Here's my thesis for today. Since faithfulness is ultimately a product of the Spirit of God, the Spirit produces faithfulness. Our ability to be faithful ultimately flows out of the character and power of God. That's wordy, but it's precise. We need to be precise. I'll say it again. Since faithfulness is a product of the Spirit of God, our ability to be faithful flows out of the character and the power of God. If we grasp this, if we can be transformed by this, that will make us full of faith. And we will spill this over, we will pour this over, see, I, I got my words right at that time, into all that we say and all that we do. I want to direct this teaching away from what we do, from human effort that will fizzle out. You know that little pep talk you give yourself, and then three days later, you've screwed up again, and you're like, ah, I'm full of it now, right? In this equation, we must decrease, God must increase, because God is faithful. He's faithful in his actions. He's faithful in his attributes. Um, It it has to start with God, because that's who God is. His steadfast love, his unchanging character and quality, that has to be the bedrock, the foundation on which we build. The Old Testament says that he is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, know that the Lord, your God, is God. No one else is God. He alone. The faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty For a thousand generations with those who love and keep his commands God is faithful in dealing with his people across time We see this chronicled with the Hebrews, with the Jews He made a promise to Abraham to make him the father of many nations And God holds up his end of the bargain He doesn't withdraw that regardless It doesn't matter what people do They fail routinely. They're unfaithful routinely, and God remains faithful. And the reason he is faithful in his actions is because he is faithful in his attributes, in his character. That's who he is. He is faithful. Listen, numbers. This is the contrast between God and human beings. God is not a man that he might lie, or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Or promise and not fulfill? What this verse is getting at is this concept of God being immutable. It's not a word that we use that often, but if this was an episode of Sesame Street, I would make that the word of the day. Immutable. The immutability of God. It means that God won't mutate. He won't become something else. He doesn't change. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever, so says Hebrews. God always Perfectly employs all of his attributes at once You and I, we have like dials that go up and down Depending on whatever Like some days, I'm kind But I'm not kind for a while Because I'm not patient Right? Or maybe I'm gentle but I, but I withhold the truth God is everything all at once Power, love, justice, mercy All of this switched on to the full Perfectly harmonized always makes God always faithful. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Speaking of God, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and immutable. So all of his words and acts must be and remain faithful. Men become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, or because of some strong influence from without. Obviously, none of these forces can affect God in any way. He is his own reason for all he is and does. In his actions, in his attributes, God is faithful. Though he is faithful, we are not. We are mutable. We mutate. Our behavior, our character, if we are honest, it shifts. It moves with the seasons, out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, some external force pressing in on us. I remember uh, not long after I was married, I remember being told something uh, by an older guy, a guy that um, I had a lot of respect for. He seemed to be further along in his faith, seemed to have it all together. He said, you can tell a lot about faith. We were talking about whether or not someone's a phony whether they're real, whether they're genuine, and, and, and how it's really kind of hard to see, right? How much does a person love God? That's kind of an intangible thing. Like You, you can tell if someone is, is like clean because of the way they smell. That's pretty obvious, right? But how much a person loves God? Ooh, we, can, we can hide that. But he said you can tell a lot about how much a man loves God by looking at how faithful he is to his wife. That's tangible. You think about that. The idea is a person of God should be marked... By faithfulness, right? If, if, if you have a friend and you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you should be a loyal friend. If you have children and you call yourself an authentic believer, you should be in their corner through thick and thin, even when it's difficult. Uh, the, the, the relationships that we have perhaps are one of the best barometers that we have of whether or not we are faithful, whether or not we have faith. What was striking though, not long after that guy told me that the way you can see whether or not a man loves God by looking at how faithful he is to his wife, he was caught in adultery. It was jarring. And I initially thought, man, you are so full of it. What a phony. I want nothing to do with you. You make me sick. But upon reflection, I believe the Spirit reminded me of Galatians 6, which is just a few verses. After what we're talking about today where Paul says this Brothers and sisters if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing You who are spiritual He's telling us to be faithful here Two things Restore such a person with a gentle spirit Secondly, watching out for yourselves So that you won't also be tempted Carry one another's burdens in this way, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself." For me, this this verse is a rebuke. Because our goal, when we learn about faithfulness and look at unfaithfulness, isn't to go hunting for it in other people. It's to look in the mirror, it's not to sit on our high horse but lovingly be faithful even in the midst of it, to be a faithful presence. After all, that's what Jesus did with us. Isn't that the case? doesn't matter if it's a dicey situation. We're we're to aim to restore the fallen. Note to self, they don't always want to be restored. But secondly, to audit ourselves, to watch out for the self-deception that so easily comes, pride comes before the fall. And so I want to ask a diagnostic question of all of us. I actually want to put it in park actually I want to take a moment i want to think through a different uh, a slew of different lanes because faithfulness uh, might map onto your existence differently than mine but we want to in a moment throw up a, a quick graphic asking you if you are faithful and i want you to look at each of these and kind of give yourself a really quick score one to ten. Ten is great one is not framing it in this way we have been called to seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness number one priority that's the target to be loyal, dutiful, conscientious to that, trustworthy, reliable, to be in a condition of attaining God's moral standards. And remember, all that we have been given, time, energy, our bodies, our minds, our resources, we are accountable to God. So if I make a mistake, it's not just oh I, I've made a mistake in a in a vacuum. I have sinned against God, who I will stand in account before some day. And it's not enough just to not avoid uh, the the bad but also we're supposed to be pursuing the good. So with that, let's, let's ask this diagnostic. Put it in park. If you are uh, the person that wants to jot, maybe you want to make a, um, a, a physical, literal note, if the person behind you is going to like creep on you and look on your paper, maybe just make a mental I don't know. If they're going to judge you, I don't know. Anyways, think about our relationships for a moment. Are you faithful in your relationships? Do you prioritize yourself, or do you prioritize Others? Are you self serving? Do you serve others? Relationships are so important. What about your sexuality? Maybe there's nothing else that links directly to our heart like that. Are you pure? Do you have integrity? Do you glorify God with your body? Or are you rationalizing with the the Kool Aid of, well, I'm true to myself? Are you faithful in that domain? What about your goals? Our goals tell us a lot about what we value. Are we making much of ourselves, or are we making much of God? Or, uh, on the other hand, are we just unambitious? Are we unconcerned with making an imprint for God? What about your time? Do you waste your time? Do you invest your time? Do you invest your time in things that have eternal significance? How about the places where you spend a lot of your time? What about school or work? places where you establish a reputation and people know you. And it's not just a a one-time kind of thing passing. Are you reliable? Can you be counted on or are you flaky? Are you cutting corners? What about what goes into us? What about our consumption? Think about your consumption for a moment. Are you faithful there? Food, drink, media, social media. Do you practice discernment and self-control? Or are you functionally polluting your soul? What about your thought life? Where does your heart go? Think about something like bitterness. If we walk around bitter all the time, that means that the cup is very, very dirty, There's, that there is bitterness, something deep in our heart. Or do you have gratitude? Do you see the way that God sees you, that Jesus is not bitter against you? What about our money? Jesus talked about money a lot, money's a barometer. I think my, mine would say that my heart is like with Qdoba, right? But is my heart with the kingdom of God, right? Are, are, are you generous or are you stingy? Are you chaotic? Are you impulsive or are you serving w- w- the, the king with a plan? Last two, discipleship. Who are you imitating? If you say no one, that should be alarming. And if you, sh- you say someone, well, that someone hopefully... Reminds you of Jesus. Do you share your faith? And finally, what about our beliefs? So much hinges on belief. I want to make sure that this really lands. Do you believe historic Christian things? Or are you pulled into one political tribe or one enclave of society that's more convenient? Now, I, I wanted to pause here because I think this sermon is for everyone. If you're giving yourself low marks this sermon is for you. I want to give you encouragement. If you're giving yourself high marks, I want to give you warning because this sermon is for you. If you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall. There's this confrontational side of the gospel. Yes, it's the good news that God loves us. But Jesus is a physician. He's a doctor. And sometimes he has to come in and he has to diagnose things inside of us. And and what this means is that God examines us, not as we compare ourselves to others or some other arbitrary standard, but he is the standard. And he looks at our hearts. So if we lust in our hearts, Jesus says, that's a form of, of adultery. Therefore, we are all found wanting. We are all fickle We are all uh, filthy mustache mugs That don't have enough faithfulness And have unfaithfulness inside of us So the question is then How can we become filled by God's faithfulness? Because this does not happen automatically, right? Well, three thoughts for you How to be filled by the faithfulness of God Number one Believe Jesus is faithful for us. Believe in Jesus. We we tap into the source of faithfulness. And He was faithful vicariously for us. What we couldn't do, He did. Another way to think about being faithful, as I mentioned earlier, is to be full of faith and faith in God, God's own Son who came and lived the perfect life, the only one that could be said to be faithful. He never betrayed. And he went and he died in our place for our unfaithfulness to take the penalty for our sins in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. Not us. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. All unrighteousness. If we believe in him... We are linked with the eternal God. We have full assurance that the faithfulness of God is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And we're covered. The best picture I could give you of faithfulness is Jesus on the cross. I couldn't think of anything better. I couldn't imagine anything. I couldn't construe anything. I couldn't use bigger, fluffier language. Jesus on the cross is the clearest portrait of faithfulness that could ever be seen. He prioritized the Father's will... He was sweating blood, asking if there's any other way, and he was faithful. In Hebrews, it says that he was faithful even for us, for the joy set before him. He went to the cross. He scorned its shame for us. He laid his life down. And the gospel is so riveting because it speaks to the overwhelming faithfulness of God, the character of God, that God is so good to us. When Paul writes his protege, Timothy, talking about the grace given to the saved, to the believers, to the Christians, to the elect, he says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God can't stop being God. God is going to be God even when we're faithless. This means that Jesus is so loyal that his loyalty extends to the disloyalty, to cover the disloyalty of his disloyal people. When you think about this. This promise means the Spirit of God comes in. It's the good deposit. It seals us. He sets up shop. He sets up residence inside of his people. Even when we grieve, the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can sin against the Holy Spirit, but He's too. We're not going to kick Him out. This means we're not going to get booted from the family of God. This means God is not going to chop off part of His own body. It means that we are His children. Think about that. You are God's child. If you are in Christ, you are God's child. Think about whose you are. Think about who you are. Think about the the motivation that gives if we see ourselves rightly, who we're meant to be. This means I can say with Kendrick Lamar that I I got loyalty. I got royalty inside my DNA. That is true. That is who we are in Christ. We are not just sinners full of the old sinful nature. We are also saints with the new DNA, the new royalty inside of us. It's because of whose DNA it is. It's Jesus. John gets the vision of heaven and revelation, and he glimpses Jesus on a white horse, and he says, the name of the rider is faithful and true. He is faithful and he is true. So when we are unfaithful and false... He makes up for what we lack. That is why he is to be praised. That is why he is to be followed. He is faithful for us, so we need to believe in him, so we are linked to him, and that will make up for what we lack. That will fill the filth. This will help us be faithful. Secondly, to be filled by faithfulness. To be honest, we get empty. So when we feel empty, we need to be filled by his presence and his promises. I mentioned earlier Ephesians 5 where it says that we are to be filled with the spirit of God. The grammar, if you look at the grammar there, because um, I like to party, I look at things like this once in a while. Um, the verb tense suggests that this is a process, that we need to be being filled. It doesn't sound smooth in English if we spoke, the, you know, the Greek would be a little bit more intuitive. But this is not the event. Salvation is the event, right? But just as I need more coffee and then more coffee and then more coffee, we need to be Being filled with the Spirit Being saved is a big deal But God doesn't want to just say Hey, I did this one thing in your life this one time He wants to be present in our life at all times And this does not mean when we we are saved That we're going to feel full of the Spirit all the time Honestly, most of the time we don't We we like those mountaintop moments But they're so rare Especially the further you go in faith Most often, most often Faithfulness looks like doing it tired, (laughs) doing it fighting resentment, doing the right thing and then realizing, oh man, I just did the right thing for the wrong reasons. I got to confess that I did the wrong thing. And for many of us right now, we are struggling. We're experiencing a tough season. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard to be faithful when you don't feel appreciated. When you've been betrayed, when you've been burned, when you're feeling uh, tempted, tired, discouraged, out of gas, when, when the bills aren't paid, we need to be filled again and again. We need to be being filled. Uh, Tozer, again, says this. The faithfulness of God is a datum of sound theology. That's a dork way of saying it's information. Like, the fact that God is, you know, if you're ever on Jeopardy, you could... You could give that idea that God is faithful Anyways The faithfulness of God is a datum of sound theology But to the believer It becomes far more than that It passes through the processes of understanding And goes on to become Nourishing food for the soul The tempted The anxious The fearful, the discouraged Any of you this morning tempted? Fearful? Anxious? Discouraged? Or is it just me? May all find new hope and good cheer in the knowledge that our heavenly Father is faithful. And time spent in his presence, time spent in his word and the promises it contains has a way of recharging us. So to be filled by faithfulness, to not only believe in Jesus, but when you feel empty, refill with his presence and his promises. Now, when we are told to be faithful, this is a very daunting thing, if we're completely honest. When I went through that that diagnostic list earlier, if any of you are remotely, I mean, as I'm reading that, I'm grimacing. (laughs) As I'm, why did I say that in public? Because now I'm supposed to be the teacher of this and not a hypocrite. Anyways, here's the thing number three, know that we are only called to be faithful. I don't want to sell you a bill of goods of perfectionism. That's not what Jesus calls us to. He knows that we're human. He knows that our our perfection is not attainable. He was the only one. And so what this means is we're not responsible for the results. Sometimes we're trying to be faithful as we're raising a child. We're trying to be faithful in a relationship. You're trying to be faithful to save the business. And we take on extra burden because we don't realize that that God has to do some of this heavy lifting. That other people have agency, they have autonomy What we are responsible for is faithfulness Not the results, just the input We're called to be faithful and loyal to what God has entrusted us Uh, In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of the talents If you've been around church, you've probably heard of this one Recap, But this is essentially an incentive, uh, a reminder, a a warning to be ready, awaiting his return, faithful in the meantime. And so what Jesus does is he describes a master, this powerful, affluent man going away on a journey, who entrusts his servants with his property, with things of wealth. And he says, I'm going to be gone. When I'm gone, uh, you have it, be faithful, make a profit. When I get back, I'm going to be checking in. So the the servant here um, gives one, uh, or excuse me, the master gives one of the servants five talents, another two talents, and the third one talent. A talent is simply an old-timey system of measurement for gold or silver or some kind of coin. The master in the parable is Jesus, and then his people are the servants that have been entrusted. Um, And what he's trying to say is that he will return and that he has left us as caretakers of his ministry ambassadors of his mission, our time, our money, our bodies, our intellect, all this other stuff is given to us by him, and we're going to have to give an account. Great or small, we have to be faithful. And so what's interesting is, is he says to the faithful, Enter in the master's joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear someday. So this is what happens when the master returns. Uh, The man with two talents also approached. So he gives the same spiel as the the guy with the five talents. And he says to him, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned you two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful, faithful over a few things. And I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Here, he is commended for faithfulness. Not the amount of his talent, not necessarily the outcomes, but that he was faithful. He realized that we've been given an opportunity and a responsibility that we shouldn't take lightly, but our call in that is simply to be faithful. It's God who moves the mountains. When, when, when the disciples are on the mountainside with Jesus and there's this huge bass crowd and they're like, Jesus, they're hungry. He's like, you feed them. They're like, we got crumbs. All they had to do was be faithful with their crumbs. Jesus does the rest. So what I want to do right now is I want to return back to the graphic we showed you earlier. I want to put it back in park again. I want to take a moment again. I want to invest this time um, just to imagine what it might look like for you to take a step of faith, to be more faithful. Let's, let's go back through this list, okay? What about your relationships? What would it look like to be faithful in your relationships? Perhaps maybe you begin to engage your friends in matters of faith. You, you pray for them, you encourage them, you are there for them. You put others in front of you. What about with your sexuality? Well, faithfulness might look like letting God sit on the throne that is rightly his. Stepping back, resisting whatever might make you stumble whoever might make you stumble in your life. What about your goals? What would faithfulness look like in your goals? Some of us, we need to get some godly ambitions, some God-sized ambitions. Some of us, we've got to go back to the drawing board. And we need to pursue what God wants with all of our might. What about our time? We need to begin to invest our time in things that have eternal consequences. So some of us, this, this could mean that we don't just consume church, that we contribute to church, that uh, you, you grab that tear off, uh, and then you say, "Yes, I would love to, to help out in Riv kids, pass that background check, and we will get you plugged in, eternal work, little disciples, for eternity, being taught about Jesus. What about your consumption? What about your inputs? I spoke to someone this week, and, and she said, uh, I'm, "I'm pumping the brakes on social media just for this summer." Not that social media is bad, but I'm wasting too much time and my head is all these other places, so I'm just going to pump the brakes so I'm not just vegging out and numbing myself. What about your thought life? We could begin to redirect some of these thoughts that trip us up, that don't please God by meditating on scripture, doing some replacement behavior, our money. Maybe this is the summer where you start budgeting, you start giving, maybe you're the one who Picks up the tab for the friend. Maybe you've got someone in your life that's struggling right now. So maybe groceries are on you. What about discipleship? Hitch your wagon to someone who is faithful. Someone that you see following Jesus with fervor and zeal. Or maybe invite someone younger along on the journey with you. And finally, what about your beliefs? We're called to be believers, so what we believe matters. What we believe shapes our behavior. That's the watershed for everything else. So perhaps you need to let the word of God audit what you believe. We we need to be careful not to believe everything we believe. If you've got some wonky issues, maybe sit down with a wise, mature person, hash it out with them. If one of these things resonates, I I just want to say just pick one and be more faithful. Take one step of faith in one of these areas that that you would acknowledge that your cup is empty. It's not as full as you like. There's some filth in there. But we know the one that fills us back up when we are empty. Our only shot at being faithful comes from the character and the power of God. So we need to let him do what only he can do in faith. I'll leave you with Paul's words. He, speaking to God... He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the people that you love, that you were faithful, uh, that you, when things got difficult, When you were mocked, when you were uh, jeered, when you were flogged, when you were crucified, you stayed faithful. Faithful for us. Lord, help us to realize what we have in Christ, that we have new and divine DNA. Faithful DNA. Help us to live into the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be being filled with the Spirit. We love you, Lord. We ask that you get glory from our lives. Amen.